welcome to Trek Companion, episode 28. I'm your host, Brian Williams. I am Adam Caesar. I'm Stephen Embry. Today we're going to be discussing DS9's fifth season, episodes Apocalypse Rising, The Ship, Looking for Parmok in All the Wrong Places, and Nor the Battle to the Strong. We're kicking off the fifth season. And uh, the last two episodes we're going to discuss today, we have a uh, the first of our uh, listener guests, uh, Josh Bradley, is going to be joining us. So let's do it. Apocalypse Rising, Season 5, Episode 1, Production Number 499. Original air date, September 30th, 1996. Written by Iris Stephen Bear and Robert Hewitt Wolf. Directed by James L. Conway. Music composed by Dennis McCarthy. Guest cast include Robert O'Reilly as Galron, J.G. Hertzler as Martok, Mark Lamo as Golducott, Casey Biggs as Demar, Robert Baduska as Burley Klingon, Robert Zakhar as Headguard, John L. Bennett as the Towering Klingon, Tony Epper as Drunken Klingon, and Ivor Bartels as Young Klingon. It's a lot of Klingons. <laughs> At the end of season four, we find out Odo reaches a startling realization. He believes the founders have replaced Gowron, Chancellor of the Klingon Empire, with one of his people, a changeling. With this new information, Cisco is ordered to expose the changeling in a daring mission, which will send him, O'Brien, Worf, and Odo into the heart of the Klingon Empire. So, let me get this straight. All we have to do is get past an enemy fleet... Avoid attacking and detection grid. Beam into the middle of Klingon headquarters and avoid the Brotherhood of the Sword long enough to set these things up and activate them in front of Garum. If we succeed, there will be many songs sung in our honor. All right. Season five. We made it. Uh, <laughs> rolling along. Yeah. So, um, famously, um, Worf's entry into uh, onto uh, Deep Space Nine was partially you know um studio mandated they wanted to get the klingons in there they wanted to get Worf on the show help the ratings make a little more action and stuff like that and the writers took a little bit of a detour from the um dominion storyline that they'd planned to do in season four uh so they could address the new character of Worf and this issue with the klingons and the war you know, mm-hmm. um, so this episode kind of served two purposes. One, it allowed them to um, wrap up the Klingon storyline, uh, but two, they they did that so they could get back to the Dominion storyline. But they specifically included kind of a Dominion aspect to this, um, so it never feels like the Klingon stuff was a waste of time. You know, now we have this feeling after this episode that. You know, a lot of the Klingon aggression from season four was instigated, you know, by a changeling posing as a Klingon. You know, mm-hmm. we had, at, at the end of season four, we think maybe it was Garon, but now we know, of course, that it was the um, Martok um, changeling. So, it certainly um, achieved the narrative and plot points they needed it to achieve. But is it a good episode? Steve, what do you think? Well, uh, I enjoyed it. I I thought it was, um, you know, it's not like the way of the warrior was a year prior in that grandiose kind of fashion, but it's, uh, I thought it was entertaining and I think it's, um, you know, we, we see uh, the aftermath of Odo, uh, becoming, uh, becoming a solid, um, and what he's dealing with. And it's kind of about a little bit 
a little bit like his his vindication like what's his value you know he goes along on this mission and he uh you know do i have value now that i'm not a changeling so it addresses that as well and it's action and it's uh, intrigue and so on I, I enjoyed it so yeah this, so this is the first time you're right i uh this is the first time we see odo as a solid um it's the first time they're going to address you know uh they, that obviously opened up many dramatic possibilities for them. This is the first time they're going to take advantage of that. One of the things I like in that storyline, I like how, like, at the end, for example, it's still Odo being, like, the investigator. You know, he mm-hmm. has, like, this quick intuition when he sees the Martok, when he sees Martok um, um, not reacting uh, with, about the situation between um, um, Worf fighting uh, Gowron in an honorable way. Like he's not referencing honor. He's just like, why don't they, why don't they just kill him? Get on, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like that, uh, we're reminded that Odo is a heck of a lot more than a shapeshifter. You know, he's a lot more than a changeling because it is Odo being the same Odo we've always known and loved. Um, that figured that out right then. Yeah. I think it's interesting for me on this one is that while overall it's a action plot driven kind of episode, I think it's almost like deceptively an Odo episode in that, you know, it's his, what he brought up to bring them to this point anyway, you know, he said, okay, I believe Galron, you know, this is what they, I learned in the, in the great link. And so mm-hmm. he's, a, and so let's go on. And then he's kind of just part of it. But then by the end, you know, it's like, well, his investigative skills, despite the fact that he's no longer a changeling, uh, proved to be helpful. Did the uh, Dominion um, uh, underestimate his abilities, Adam? <laughs> um, I guess you could say that. Um, I enjoy how they set it up. Um, you know, they have that first scene with um, Cisco and Odo and, and Quarks, obviously. And, um, you know, we find that Odo um, likes to drink. I mean, I, which, which you could, which you could see as uh, being as understandable in, in our society. You could say, well, maybe it's time to go have a drink. But you don't normally see that in um, the Star Trek world. Somebody um, kind of going into a, a self-loathing. It's part of that darker, so. grittier Star Trek vision. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I, I agree with um, Stephen about you know it is it is kind of a deceptively a, a, an Odo episode you know because um, yeah you re- you really see him in the beginning of this episode like really like depressed and um, you know he's not even he doesn't even care about his job or anything he just likes beer or <laughs> assume that's beer um, and and by the end he kind of realizes that he does have value. Well, it's certainly fun seeing all these guys as Klingons. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I remember the first time, you know, uh, it was a Ducat walks in there and he has this look on his face like, what's the matter? Haven't you ever seen a Klingon before? You know, <laughs> um, Cisco makes a pretty good Klingon. He's got, the, oh, yeah. you know, he's got the voice down and um, <laughs> it's very boisterous. It's it's weird seeing Rene Auberjonois because you can really actually see more of his face as a Klingon than you ever can as a, as Odo mm-hmm. the Changeling. Mm-hmm. Just like the sides of his face, you can tell that's just his face. Um, and it's, it's so, more than anybody else, Odo, seeing Rene Abergenois is, is such a different thing than seeing Odo to me. This is the second time Rene's played a fake Klingon, isn't it? Uh, that is correct. I'm glad I didn't ask that as a trivia question. <laughs> yeah, he did the same thing at, uh, was it Star Trek Six? Yes. You know, at the end, oh, yeah. uh, Assassin is a Klingon, but it's not really a Klingon. They pull off the face, and it's uh, Abergenois as good God. I don't remember the character's name. Uh, Starfleet, Secur- Starfleet security guy. Colonel West? 
Colonel West. That's correct. There you go. Um, so let's see. What else uh, should we talk about in this one? Uh, the uh, the scene in the Great Hall, which I like the uh, production design there. The statues is this cool. Um, I don't know that we've ever seen. Have we ever seen this many Klingons? Okay, we we mentioned Star Trek Six, but that was you know from a distance. All those people up there in the crowds. I bet they were just wearing the cheapest. But these are like full on Klingons, like a lot of them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, the production design is is pretty nice in there. Um, I always felt a little bit like it's a little bit silly. The, I don't know, silly is maybe too strong a word, but it seems like some of the drama in there is a bit manufactured to me. Um, the, the, dr- the drama of trying to put the little polar on emitter up there and then it falls and they go grab it. I mean, it seems <laughs> mm-hmm. a little yeah, bit like, okay, yeah. get on with it, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like two of those kind of things. Um, and then, and then when, when Cisco goes with the, uh, to activate the Polaron emitters, and right before he's going to activate him, they call out his Klingon characters and yeah. they come up front. Why not just activate it right then? Why? Why? It's just more dramatic to like go up there first, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a little straight, yeah, a little uh, yeah. convoluted. Yeah. But... Um. Also, I have to say, O'Brien looks a little funny as a Klingon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He looks a little dingy, doesn't he? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cisco looks, looks great, looks mean and tough and sounds it. Odo looks like he's like the Klingon that would be like the science Klingon looking guy or something right. that you know, but he looks like a Klingon. But but O'Brien, he just looks, looks like a little bit Yeah, he does. Wrong with him or something. No, yeah. What what'd you say? It's a little messed up with him, you know. He's like he's got a little bit of a problem or something. Yeah, something, yeah. something doesn't look quite right. He's the goofy Klingon. <laughs> Mm. Um, I, I love the scene uh, it's a brief one but I love the scene where Worf is giving them um, Klingon lessons aboard Ducat's Bird of Prey mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's, that's a great scene don't stand so far away from me when you're talking to me <laughs> <laughs> are you afraid of me? <laughs> um, what else you guys got you want to talk about this one? Um, the scene in the early in the episode with um, Ducat and Major Kira was kind of amusing where she tells him, you know, about being pregnant. Oh, and, yeah. It's O'Brien's. The <laughs> yeah. car's not the father. It's O'Brien's. That, yeah, that's pretty, that's pretty incredibly funny. Then, of course, that's... Um, isn't this the one... Yeah, yeah, this is the episode with... Uh, um, between, oh, yes, with the inside joke thing there. Yeah, with between uh, uh, Bashir and Kira, and Kira says, this is your fault, referring to her pregnancy. <laughs> And in the show, of course, she's joking that it's she's saying it because um, he's the off, he's the the doctor who decided to put the fetus in her because Keiko had a problem. But of course, the inside joke is that in real life, um, it is, is his fault. Pregnant. Yes, it is his fault. <laughs> uh, so that's kind of that's pretty funny. Um, all right, so what do we got for what this is about, Steve? Well, if I had to say some, I maybe um, kind of in a broad sense, the things aren't always what they seem. Kind of referring both to the uh, the Martok twist, um, and also maybe to some extent Odo, how he he placed all that placed so much value in the fact that he's a changeling on, that mm-hmm. he does well his job, and really it, it's he obviously is good at his job despite that. Um, so something like that maybe. 
Yeah, and, and and that's exactly what I was thinking too. And we we've had that, you know, things aren't what they seem. That's kind of a recurring thing here too. But but you know, to me that what makes this episode ultimately work is that it isn't Gowron at the end. That's the change. Yeah, that it is Martok. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, we couldn't have Galron come back with just one eye. He's got such great beady eyes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but I I love that scene uh, in the uh, the brig or whatever when Martok is kind of flipping the situation around, you know, to like the only choice is to ass- is to assassinate him, um, mm-hmm. you know. And then a few moments later, if you haven't already figured out that it's Martok that's the changeling, it does seem like such a perfect. You know, I wonder how much of this was was planned. Like when they implanted this in Odo in his head at the end of season four, did they think the Federation was just gonna that that's what the Federation would do would would, would be assassinate Galron? Was that their I, plan? Um, yeah. Well, it seems it seems like the logical thing. It seems like they they would go after him and uh, and leave leave Martok in power, maybe. But it's hard to say for sure. But it, I, I know that that was that. After by the end of this episode, it's like, hey, you know, if if Gowron was dead, Martok would be in power. And then the Changeling could really, they they would really be running the Klingons and stuff. But even just just causing all this strife and grief mm-hmm. uh, between the Federation and the Klingons is is um, uh, more than helpful to the Dominion cause. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, Adam, what have you got for, for what it's about? Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, I, I kind of agree with Stephen. It's about um Odo finding himself finding his self-worth that it's not just being a shapeshifter it's you know about being an individual who you know has more value than just being able to turn into a bird or some sort of creature you know and and cisco really helps him along in this episode and you know if you don't have cisco really pushing him mm-hmm. uh, you know it's, well, it's cisco who, who convinces him to go on this mission in the first place well orders him but finds him in the bar you know it's it's funny obviously we are fans of Star Trek, and we, if you call what we do, is of reviewing. We're reviewing these episodes, um, but based solely on our um, reception of the episode. We watch it. This is how we feel and think. We obviously know more about what's say going on behind the camera, um, or what the intentions were in the script, and things like that, than maybe the average uh, viewer. But we don't let those things um, affect this discussion. I, I say this because I agree with you guys, and those are the same kind of thoughts that I had, like that this is a deceptively Odo, Odo episode, and that if there's anything I get out of what it's about, it's that, that Odo is more than a changeling, and that this is his first kind of realization of that. That's, the episode starts off with him being... Um, depressed because he thinks he's lost so much of his value. And by the time it's over, he can start to recognize that he does have something to offer. Um, we all felt that way watching this episode. But in none of the discussions I found about this episode, none of the behind-the-scenes discussions about what was written or the intention, nowhere does anybody talk about that. Mm-hmm. Sure. Nobody talks about it like it's an Odo episode. Nobody talks about it about this, about this insight into Odo's um, characters, changes, um, but that's what it was to us, and uh, I think that that's um, 
that's interesting. That mm-hmm. is interesting because even at, it, I mean, it even culminates at the end of the episode when he's like, "Yeah, I can give you any." Doctor Bashir's like, "I yeah. can give you any face you want." He's like, "My old one will do." You know, my face, the face that they gave me will do. Mm-hmm. And you'd have to think that would be, um, if maybe it was at the beginning of the episode, Odo might have might have gone with another face, but by the end of the episode, he's comfortable with himself again. Mm-hmm. Not comfortable, yeah. but it, he feels his place is is right. Cool. All right, well, I say let's move on to some Six Degrees for Apocalypse Rising. Yay. All right. So, Adam, you want to go first or second? I'll go first. All right. You know, every time I ask that, everybody always says I'll go first. (laughs) Nobody ever says I'll go second. Adam, question. John Benet? or Bennett, I'm not sure, plays the Klingon that suspects Odo uh, as a Klingon. Well, suspects Odo. Uh, there's something I miss it with Odo. Uh, until Worf convinces him Odo's emitter is a Vulcan toy. In DS9's third season episode, Past Tense Part 1, he plays a character for which the San Franciscan riots of 2024 are named. Name the character he played in Past Tense. Um, Bell? Yes. Do you know his first name? You already got it, but do you know his first name? Um, no, I do not know his first name. You remember it, Steve? Well, I thought I did. Now I'm kind of just blanking out here. Gabriel. Gabriel. Yeah, yeah. I, I was gonna, I was gonna say Albert, but I knew that wasn't right. <laughs> All right, you I was got gonna say Andy Bell, like the lead singer of Erasure, but I knew that wasn't <laughs> sure. <it>. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so Adam, you got a point. Uh, Steve. Robert Sorry. O'Reilly returns as Gowron, Chancellor of the Klingon High Council. Between the next gen, uh, the next generation, and Deep Space Nine, in how many episodes does O'Reilly appear as Gowron? And you got multiple choice. Is it A eleven, B fourteen, C twenty two, or D thirty six? Eleven, mm-hmm. fourteen, twenty-two, or thirty-six. I don't. I don't really know. I never have a good feel for this kind of thing. I'll just. Uh, I'll guess fourteen. That is incorrect, Mr. Caesar. Would you like to try it? I'll say a eleven. That is correct. It was eleven. Mm. Yeah, it was. It was fifty-fifty there, Stephen. I knew it was either eleven or fourteen. It's always less than I think. These things. That's what I've discovered. <laughs> <laughs> uh, moving on. <laughs> The Ship, Season 5, Episode 2, Production Number 500, Original Air Date, October 7th, 1996, Teleplay by Hans Beimler, Story by Pam Wigginton and Rick Kaysen, Directed by Kim Friedman, Music Composed by Jay Chataway. Guest cast include Caitlin Hopkins as Kilana, F.J. Rio as Muniz, and Hilary Shepard as Hoya. While exploring a Gamma Quadrant world, Cisco and crew watch as a Jem'Hadar warship crashes into the planet's surface. The ship survives the impact, and Cisco realizes the tactical advantage that could be gained and decides to get the ship back to Deep Space Nine. But before the crew can begin the salvage, another Jem'Hadar warship appears and destroys their runabout, leaving Cisco and crew no choice but to take cover in the crashed ship. With no way out, the crew must hold out until the Defiant arrives. My offer was genuine. All that mattered to me was the founder. Then you should have told me about him. You might have killed him or or made him a hostage. No. All I wanted was the ship. Now, the first thought I had in this episode, at the beginning, 
what are they trying gonna, gonna mine? Is whatever it was, it wasn't cobramite, but it sounded like cobramite. That's what it was. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was like coromite, or I don't know. It was something yeah, that sounded some, like cobramite, which is uh, funny. Some offshoot of cobramite. Yeah. Um, uh, there was something else funny in this episode. So, you know, it opens and you see, like, I think it was a, a benzonite on the runabout up above. You know, mm-hmm. while the runabouts are orbiting, and uh, Cisco is talking to them, and we cut up there, and my wife had not seen this episode, and we saw this, and she said, "Oh, I've never seen that character, that person before. I've never seen her before." <laughs> yep, she's she's gonna die. Yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of like you know the the DS Nine red shirt there. Well, it's cool to um, see him inside again. You know, back in Next Gen, one played a pretty big role in an episode. Yeah. yeah. In that case, the uh, he had the breathing tube, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. He had some nasal issues. Yeah. <laughs> um, Adam, kick us off on this one. You know, um, watching this episode, I, I kind of had like the tale of two, two halves of this episode. I'm watching this, I'm like going, I, I kind of felt like they were a little bit insensitive about like all the people that died. And then I guess it's been so long since I've seen it. And then they kind of make up for it at the end. It's like that you really feel that deep impact of, um, of all the, of all the crew members that died in the runabout and in, in the um, crash Jemadar ship. So it's kind of where, I mean, I guess it was for me as like, I just didn't, re- you know, sometimes you just don't remember how an episode plays out. I just remember going, you know what? They don't seem very like all that upset about everybody dying in that ship and people getting shot up. But then, it you know, it's, around it's strange that you mentioned, mentioned that ending. That's actually the thing that I, I really like about this episode. I love how that, that's like several minutes, minutes, which is a lot of screen time after what one would argue is the climax of this episode. Um, and that is just something they, so they spend several minutes after the climax, taking the time to really discuss um, the loss, the loss of these, these people. Um, and that's something that they don't ever do. Mm-hmm. So not only do they do it, but they spend several minutes on it. And, and none I'm of them are really main characters either. I mean, yeah. if you think about it, I mean, you know, do you, do you recall Kirk ever spending a lot of time worrying about the red shirt that died? So no, it's kind of, no. you know, and I, and I joked about um, the, the, the red shirt in this episode, but for example, uh, Munez, uh, he's a character that we've seen in multiple mm-hmm. episodes before. Yeah. Right. Um, um, and, and speaking of that, so do you guys, um, did you, did you give a crap when Munez died? You know, here's here's my thought on this, and I know what they were trying to do, but it, to me, sometimes the O'Brien Muniz stuff felt a little forced. In that, we've got to really set it up, make sure everyone understands how close they are, so when he dies, you feel it. He's almost like you, it's telegraphed a bit, in, in my mm-hmm. opinion, just because you don't see it that much often before. I mean, sure, we see O'Brien engaging in some banter with his crew. We've seen that, but it's just so much the you know the little inside jokes and the silliness and stuff uh, you know it's fine it just seems it's a, a bit much and you see where they're going with it or something well it's interesting that uh, we're going to talk about today about an episode that I really love and that's looking for Parmok in all the wrong places <laughs> and one of the great things about that episode is that so much of what's in it required that we know these characters and we know their relationships after years and years um of of 
caring about them and, and, and listening to them and watching them. Um, and you could not have done that episode, say, in the first, first season. So I think what you're getting at, Steve, some of the, and I agree, some of that stuff, it feels like they were trying to do you know, the equivalent of, first, yeah, the equivalent of a, of a first season, you know, I don't yeah. know, you know, so we've seen Minez before, but they've never really set him up with anything. And, and even this, this relationship between him and O'Brien, they don't feel like buddies. They feel like, a you know, an older boss mm-hmm. and the young technician. That's what mm-hmm. it feels like. Um, and unfortunately that means red shirt. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, my feeling is I didn't quite understand. I guess for the ending, I guess they had to have somebody kind of closer die. I didn't really understand the purpose of him dying. I mean, you know, what? This is where I kind of think Cisco made him. They would it have killed Cisco to ask for a med pack? Yeah, I, wrote, there the, one I time? wrote that exact same thing down. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you know they're out there negotiating. Hey, can I get a med pack? <laughs> Yeah, you know, that's the thing. I think I think there's a lot of that in this episode. This stuff where they're they're just pushing stuff to the limit and it and it, and it goes beyond what you, you you'll buy. I mean, like that kind of thing you just mentioned. Also, how everyone starts losing their cool to such an extent late on that it's just like everyone gets totally bonkers. You know, it's yeah. just too much, you know. Yeah, I want to address both those things real quick cuz these are both things I thought about and I wrote down too. Like the medkit issue, it, it it makes it worse because as soon as they get into the ship, um, and this is hurt. And Cisco, I think, asks who has the med kit, and somebody says someone so had it, and that's someone who had it outside and was killed. Yeah. Um, just asking that question implies, yeah, this this wound is superficial enough that if we have a med kit, we can fix him right up. Mm-hmm. And we don't, so he's going to die. <laughs> <laughs> and the one right outside, which by the way, I'm going to go out there a couple of times to meet with the Vorta. Yeah. Oh. I'm not and even if they even it. if they took it, you could ask for it back. She's yeah. yeah. going, hey, can I have the yeah, yeah. So I think that that's something that they could have solved with just a little bit better, a little bit, a little bit uh, more thoughtful writing. Like he didn't need to have that line. They did have a line later about how um, maybe the Jem'Hadar's weapons leave some kind of anticoagulant, you know, to mm-hmm. so you'll keep bleeding and bleed to death. Um, you know, if they if they'd not had the line about the med kit, and maybe had another line about that the wound was that bad, I, I don't know, just a couple of little things like that. I think would have, would have made that work better. Um, however, uh, the other thing you mentioned, Steve, which really bugged me more than anything else in this episode, it's like we go from normal Starfleet, everybody pulling together, working until there's just a cut, and then all of a sudden everybody's all pissed off, mm-hmm. you know. And it's because the bombing and shelling is getting to them. Even though the very first time we have any bombing, they're like, oh, that's clearly too far away. They're, they're <laughs> trying to rattle us. They're not actually trying to harm us. Yes. How, how much fear is that really going to instill? You know? Right, uh, right. I don't right. know. You know, I, I totally understand what they were going for. Um, but as soon as we see Starfleet officers um, and, and enlisted men arguing with one another, mm. that's that's – that's pretty darn far, and I needed a little bit more of the journey to get to that, not just mm-hmm. flip switch and I'm there. All that said, um, I always kind of enjoy this episode. I, um, I, I still feel that it's slightly above average, and I, you know, pro- probably from now on until the end of the series, all their episodes are, are above average to me. 
Um, it's it's maybe it's not great, although I do think it's probably a pretty good idea. But it just comes off like they didn't quite live up to um, the good idea that they had. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I agree with what you were saying, Brian. They could have done. They could. It's almost like they were a little too loose with it. They could have. If they could have tightened it up writing-wise, they could have made this episode a lot better. They were just a little loose with a few things. <clears throat> I don't remember who said it, but I read one of the writers talked about – or maybe it was one of the producers. I, I'm sorry. I forget. can't remember. Um, who wrote this one, Steve? It was um, Hans Beimler. Okay. Yeah, it might have been Beimler uh, saying that this episode probably that it would have been better if they had – once they went inside the ship to protect themselves, if they had never left and we'd never gone outside again, um, they could have spent more time ratcheting up the tension and what they got instead was as soon as he went outside, it was like the tension totally dissipated and they had to kind of start over as when he goes back inside. And I kind of agree with that. Um, and it also, you know, that mm-hmm. fear that fear goes away you know, mm-hmm. for those same reasons, yeah. like the line about the med kit, that line, when you say, Oh no, so-and-so had the med kit and he's outside. That line works and makes sense. If you're really stuck inside. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you get, mm-hmm. you get more of a claustrophobic feeling and then yeah. the, the stress amongst the officers. But the second better. Cisco goes outside to meet with Avorta, that's one example of, of many tensions that are gone. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so what's this one about? I, I, I think that you can... Um, I, you, it's probably summed up in, in Cisco's line to the Vorta. Once they realized that all the Dominion wanted was the, um, was the changeling. Um, and, you know, and he realizes that his crew members and, and, and the Jem'Hadar, all these people have, have died because they didn't trust one another. You know, and if if the Vorda had trusted him, if he had trusted them more, um, none of this would have happened. And we've gotten we've we've seen that kind of of uh, message before in Star Trek. But what I like here is that it's it's the Starfleet side too. You know, mm-hmm. it's not just. <clears throat> if the Vorta had trusted us because, Hey, we, we know all the Starfleet people are perfect. Right. Um, it's that they're not because Cisco could have trusted her when she said, just let us take what we want and, and go, you mm-hmm. know, but he didn't trust her either. Um, maybe if he'd put, if, if he'd put that trust in her, things would have turned out differently. So yeah. I like that yeah. it's on both sides on this one. Yeah. yeah. What do you what do you got, uh, Steve? Yeah, I pretty much had the same thing, the cost of mistrust though. I think I think what what keeps this from like you like you were saying, it keeps it from being great and not really living up to it is it's kind of like it's up you know, hitting you upside the head with the cost of mistrust. And that's kind of the whole yeah, thing. Yeah. It's like, we got to get to that place and we got to squeeze it all in and right now. And, and so you'll buy it. So you see a whole lot of strange uh, things happen, you know, and that, and that's, that's kind of what we talked about, but it's, that's definitely what they're shooting for. And I think overall it's, it's, that's, that's what it is. It's just kind of not very elegant or something. Yeah. Adam, you want to add anything to that? Um, when we were talking about earlier about this episode, I think what really makes this episode is the last, seven minutes we were t- we were saying the the end and um and the scene with cisco and um 
I think he feels the weight of the cost of what he's done. And you don't really see that that often in Star Trek, especially among the captains. Um, and um, I agree with you. I would agree with you. It's like, you know, it's the trust issue, but you also get to see the consequences, not just in um, physical death, but it's an emotional toll, totally that you see on Cisco, O'Brien, and, and, you know, the rest of the crew. And, and also that's why this, this episode still works for me. Um, because they were able to play that off at the end. Um, so, yeah, and and again, I I love that they that they take the time to do that. I'm not sure that they ever that they they address this issue. They have they spend episodes on this kind of issue, but I don't think they've ever they ever again in, in any Star Trek spend such a clear spend such time clearly devoted to that single question of the, you know the the, the cost real of- cost of war. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Okay. Six degrees for the ship. What's our score? Adam, you got two? Two. Holy <laughs> You're just, boy, 2012 is going to be year, year, man. <laughs> it's early still. <laughs> We're only one episode in. <laughs> uh, Steve, you want one or two? <laughs> uh, hit me. All right. One. Caitlin Hopkins plays Kilana, the Vorta that Cisco cannot trust. In Voyager's sixth season, she played Dala in the episode Live Fast and Prosper. In this episode, Dala and her partners impersonate members of Voyager's crew so that they can run scams on unsuspecting people. Which member of Voyager's crew did Dala impersonate? So, so that's Hopkins playing Dala playing who? Mm. Yeah, I remember the concept, but I don't remember the details. Yeah. She impersonates Paris. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, so that's, how about, that's a chick. Yeah. Okay, how about seven? Incorrect. Adam? Um, Captain Janeway? You are correct. Now, was that a guess or did you remember? Um, no, I didn't remember. I just, the likeness <laughs> were similar, you know. I just, like, if someone well, asks you if you're a god, you say yes. <laughs> All right. Three, no. Adam, go for it. Kilara, or excuse me, Kilari Shepard plays the Benzite Hoya, whose runabout was destroyed while orbiting the planet when the Jem'Hadar showed up. In DS9's sixth and seventh seasons, Shepard also played Lauren, one of four characters Bashir would attempt to help. Lauren was the sultry one. The others were Jack, Patrick, and Serena. What made them different? What made them? Di- Bashir tried to help these people. Yes, he did. What made these people different? Um, they. Um, I have no idea. They had no hair. I have no idea. Steve. She would not uh, have. I don't think she could do sultry if she had no hair. <laughs> could you? Can you kind of repeat that or sum it yes, up? Yes. Yeah. <clears throat> Kilari Shepard plays the Benzite Hoya, whose runabout was destroyed while orbiting yes. the planet, and the Jem'Hadar showed up. In DS9's sixth and seventh seasons, Shepard also played Lauren, one of four characters Bashir would attempt to help. Lauren was the sultry one. The others were Jack, Patrick, and Serena. What made them different? Oh, yes, yes, yes. Um... They all had some kind of. Were they all also like genetically enhanced in some fashion? That is correct. They were all. Genetically- oh yeah. Okay. Now I remember, remember those. Now, uh, yeah, Adam. Yeah, I do now. 
So yeah, she she was the one that was that thought like every man wanted to be with her. That didn't she? Mm. Oh, okay, okay. That, and she played a Benzite. Really, she played a Benzite. Who sees her and thinks Benzite? Benzenite, right? Sorry, Benzenite, Benzenite, but it's no, it's Benzenite. Benzenite, some kind of medication, I think. (laughs) Right, right. No, I don't know. Uh, So we got three one, huh? All right, all right. So we're gonna take a little break and add uh, Mr. Josh Bradley, and we'll be right back. We're uh, we're back with our our uh, listener, uh, Josh Bradley. Hello. uh, Say hello. Hello. You are our first, so, so we're kind of figuring this whole thing out. You're the first um, listener, guest we've had on. And again, he has his own podcast that he's going to tell us about. Um, he is a listener for our show. He is a fan of Star Trek. Um, so tell us, uh, you were just saying you even like the animated series, huh? Well, I don't really like it. I mean, <laughs> uh, it's, it's fun. It's, it's hokey. It's fun. You got to get into the spirit of it. I, um, I appreciate that it, it exists, um, Star Trek in any form is is great, in my opinion. I, uh, I, um, I mean, I do a Voyager podcast, so Voyager is looked upon as kind of the lesser of all the series, I suppose. Pish posh. So um, I'm I'm just glad that even that exists. Even so, so you're a little more like me in that you're maybe more of a trekker than a trekkie. I I always explain to people the difference when somebody asks. Not that then people used to, and now nobody cares. Well, uh, <laughs> I, I used to explain the difference as. Uh, a, a trekkie-er goes on a journey. So, but that, a trekkie might be more interested, say, in, in star dates or just what they like. And I totally respect that, but that's not me. So, when Enterprise was on the air and people were like, why do you watch that? That show is not good. I would say, <laughs> I'm a trekker. I have to know what's going on in the universe. You know, I go on this journey. It wouldn't, it would never occur. I, sure, I'd rather it was a good show, but that's in a way irrelevant. Yeah. Yeah. I see what you mean. I guess you could, you could file me in under that trekker <laughs> moniker i i don't really think i've never really thought of myself in terms of a trekkie or trekker you can call me whatever you want i mean uh nerd whatever dorky trekkie trekker fine okay i just know what i like that's all well it's cool that you that you've gotten so into trek because you were just telling us that you don't go to conventions comic-con star trek shows anything like that no i don't i would um, so what what got you into trek uh, it's been a part of my life since I was, I don't know, five years old. My parents watched Star Trek, so by default, I watched it. And <laughs> which it was Trek oh the well, I started off with the original trilogy. I mean, the original series, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I mean, anything on TV when you're a kid is excellent. So um, the fact that they would let me watch, you know, stay up late and watch the show with them was fun and. That's cool. That's that's how it started. So then the movies, and then the next generation premiered. I think when I was in the first grade, and um, you know, I just it's been a part of my life. It was never something that was yeah you know, geeky to me. It was just that's part of life. And uh, I was the Star Trek kid growing up. You know, in school, you know, I, there was always one Star Trek kid that was me. Um, call that a bad thing, I, I suppose. It wasn't until <laughs> wasn't until high school I realized that. Uh, it's not cool. So I, I stopped telling people that I watched Star Trek when I got to that age. But in my older years, I realized that uh, it's okay to be yourself. So Yeah, and now it's it's a little bit cooler now than uh, it used to be. I, 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 no. I, what do you mean with the J.J. Abrams truck? No, no. I just meant, you know, like being a geek in the last 
five or six years has started to be kind of cool. You mean it's like in to... vogue or something? <laughs> yeah, a little bit. <laughs> yeah, like like you know, like uh, the eighties had that kind of resurfacing, like eighties fad was kind of cool again. Like the two Corys had their show for a little while. Sure, and, sure, sure. Yeah, and then they had like the surreal life with all those eighties stars like MC Hammer and whatnot. <laughs> Well, um, uh, before we get into the the show, I just wanted to thank you guys for giving me the opportunity, letting me come on board and talk about Deep Space Nine, because I, I know I asked you guys a little while ago and um, you hadn't had guests at that point. But the fact that you're allowing me to come on, I'm, I'm very, very grateful. Um, no, I love I'll, I'll talk Trek with anybody. So it's so, absolutely um, our pleasure. And like I said, it's we recognize that we are just all fans of, of Star Trek, you know. And that's what we're, that's what we love. And hey, real quick. Nice. Oh yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, uh, real quick. I was going to ask so you do a, you do a podcast on Voyager, right? Yeah. How is it? Um, is it similar to what we do or is it, um, sorry, I haven't, I haven't listened to it. Obviously I don't blame you at all. Uh, <laughs> our, <laughs> uh I, I would grade our podcast. I don't know. C plus maybe it's, it's okay. Uh, I, we're still kind of getting into the group. I think we're getting better. I mean, we're only about eight episodes in, but, um, it's uh, it's not quite the same format as your show. You guys cover more than one episode um, in a podcast. Uh, we okay. just do one show every podcast. Oh wow! Um, and we try to go in depth. Um, sometimes we go off on tangents, but uh, since it is only one episode, we you know try to get into the nitty gritty of um, of uh, of all the scenes and uh, tones and in the moments and what we liked and didn't like and and whatnot. Uh, sometimes they tend to go a little long. Our last episode, I'm sorry, went incredibly way too long but i've been very ill lately and i wasn't able to edit it down so my apologies <laughs> if you want to fast forward during that episode i don't plan <laughs> well while you're talking about it why don't you go ahead and tell everybody uh, where they can find it uh you can find it at uh, delta quadrant podcast.podomatic.com or just type in the delta quadrants into the itunes store will pop up nice cool <laughs> Looking for Parmok in All the Wrong Places, Season 5, Episode 3, Production Number 501. Original air date, October 14, 1996. Written by Ronald D. Moore, directed by Andrew J. Robinson, music composed by David Bell. Guest cast include Rosalind Chow as Keiko O'Brien, Mary Kay Adams as Grilka, Joseph Ruskin as Tumek, and Phil Morris as Thopak. Worf is taken by the sight of Grilka, a Klingon woman and who also happens to be Quark's ex-wife, thanks to a complicated marriage of convenience. Undaunted, Worf decides to pursue Grilka and tries to capture her attention at Quark's. He is crushed when Tomek, Grilka's um, personal guard, reminds him that he is dis uh, dishonored among Klingons, and Grilka could never be with him. Tomek then adds insult to injury by commenting that Worf's human upbringing shows, shows he knows nothing about how to pursue a Klingon woman. With his pride wounded, Worf wants to prove he, can, he knows a thing or two about Klingon women, and he decides to help Quark win Grilka's heart. If I were in your shoes, I would be looking for someone a little more entertaining, a little more fun, and maybe even a little more attainable. You are not in my shoes. Too bad. You'd be amazed at what I can do in a pair of size 18. I still love this episode. You know, it's... I really love it. I could talk about this episode for an hour. Um, but, uh, well, Josh, I could, as yeah, I guess, I could too. kick us off, yeah. Oh, sure. Um, 
Well, I, I really enjoy it too. Um, I don't think I enjoy it as, as quite as much as you do. Um, uh, I, I do like it a lot. I mean, I think DS9 is you know, pure gold most of the time. I mean, they, they do have their fair share of uh, clunkers, uh, a few. But uh, <laughs> I actually, I like that episode. You like but, and, Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I've said it before. I like Spock's brain too. But uh, anyway, uh, looking for Parmok. Um, the first thing, you know, that kind of springs to mind is the title. And uh, I, I thought it was actually interesting that they actually went with that title. And it's very um, unusual for for Trek to it is, and I think that um, Star Trek TNG almost went with a similar title for in theory it was going to be breaking up is hard to do. So I thought that was interesting that they actually went with a title, uh, looking for Parmok, looking for love in all the wrong places, which is a song, you know, and mm-hmm. and then again, you know, Quark has that line, you know, War was good for if you ask me. Absolutely. Oh yeah, the Edwin Star. <laughs> <laughs> they have two song you know mentions in there, and I thought that was awesome. But this is a fun really lighthearted, almost lighthearted episode for the most part, which is great. Uh, DS9, I think, can pull that off. TNG didn't always do as well uh, when it came to lighthearted moments. But uh, it's it's got a lot of good uh, one-liners. It's got a, an A, a B, and a C plot. Mm-hmm. The uh, C plot being, uh, I guess, Keiko and, not Keiko, uh, Kira and um, O'Brien. O'Brien, which was really fun. <laughs> Um, you don't really get to see uh, domesticity in that in that sense in in Star Trek, um, and that, that was that was a lot of fun. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, that that storyline, it's not my favorite storyline in the episode, but there's something about that storyline that is so honest, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. unusually honest. You know mm-hmm. this this idea that uh, that that Kira and O'Brien maybe in another life they could have had something together, but. That, you know, normal couples are tested in this way. And I, I, I like that. I, I love that it's that it's so um, simple and honest. And it's it's played in such a, you know, like you said, it comes off as like the C story. But that it, it's still completely thematically unified with the other stories, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but that it has something um, to say that is unusual for Star Trek. Well, I thought it was quite um, just fascinating that the writers even thought to go there. I mean, it, it's it's something that DS9 excels at, the shading of characters that the other series kind of lacked. I mean, they didn't have to do this. They didn't have to explore this, this mine, this territory of, of what, what, what would actually happen if um, they started to become attracted to each other. I mean, who would have thought? And that's interesting that they went there. And I thought that the conclusion to that was... Interesting. I wish they. I wish they would have gone into it a little bit more because I think it could have mined some dramatic territory. And uh, Keiko didn't seem to pick up on it. <laughs> yeah, that's, no. that's what I was saying. It's like it's interesting oh, that Keiko yeah. won't go there. You know, it's kind of like we're, we're women like this. You know? I think I think Keiko has no concept whatsoever yeah. of O'Brien ever being with another woman. In there. <laughs> I think yeah. it's also. I think it's also what sells me on it is you know, of course, O'Brien's like the everyman. He's always the everyman, and Kira's hot. You know, and so it, it's even like this, oh, you know, she's kind of interested in him and he's just a regular guy, you know, and it makes guys feel good, I think. Yeah, it even compounds it worse when we saw. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you don't see that kind of sexual tension kind of explored in, in Star Trek like that in a kind of very humdrum kind of, uh, as I said, domestic way. I mean, this is a very unusual situation, but it was it was really interesting to watch. This episode, literally, somebody says the word sex 
as far as you know, an you, yeah, you you pick that up too. They don't say that in Star Trek. It's almost a dirty word. No, yeah, but yeah. Uh, but just the scene when uh, when uh, Quark comes to uh, Dax for advice, and of course, Wolf, 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 Wolf is there, and he's going to offer some advice. Um, but but Dax says, "Why do you want to do this with this woman? Is it sex?" You know, and you know, in yeah. any other show, you'd just be like, "Yeah, that's that's the line." But but exactly. in Star Trek, you're like, "Say what?" You know, <laughs> yeah, you, you can't say that. You know, it's almost like yeah. you know they're going to get the green slime. You know, it's like that. you can't do that on television. It's <laughs> like that, but they treat Star- it in a way where they don't make an issue out of it. Right. So we don't. But it's still it does catch you off at first. But since DS Nine is so much of a different uh, tone than the rest of the the series, it, it's able to pull it off. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, you know, the, my favorite thing about this episode, and, and I mentioned this uh, a few minutes ago on, when we were talking about another show uh, today, yeah. The Ship, is that this episode to me is one of those episodes that you could not have done, say, in the first season. You know, this mm-hmm. episode could only exist and only work whenever we are really familiar with these characters and mm-hmm. whenever, we, whenever we really believe them. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, and when we can uh, take the time, you know... They only have so many uh, episodes of Star Trek they can produce in a season. You know, they only have so many stories that they get to tell. And when they take the time to tell this story, that's when you know you've got a show that's firing on all cylinders. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. You know, you know what I like about this, and I don't want to get too early here, touch on maybe what it's about or what it's not about. But I think that the whole notion of, um, you know, what the title is, is saying is, is interesting in that you have – two very different approaches to um, romance or lack of approach to romance, however you want to look at it. You have the accident of O'Brien and Kira and the, the you having to avoid a problem. Essentially, mm-hmm. it just yeah. happened, and, and look what, you know, there it was. And then you have Worf trying so hard, and uh, I don't know if, I don't know if there's a lesson there, but I think there kind of is in the sense that, more, it's more likely something accidentally coming together than when people <laughs> really make an well, attempt. You know, th- this episode is like it's the Cerno de Bergerac story, sure, right? Sure. But but in in Cerno, like there's no equivalent to Dax's character. Mm-hmm. You know, it, yeah, it, it, so yeah. Dax's presence is where I get what this episode's about for me because mm-hmm. it's kind of um, you know maybe I'm focusing on just this one storyline to do it, but uh, but it's. Uh, you've got something right under your nose some of the time and you're, you're looking so hard and trying so hard to find it in all these wrong, in all the wrong places, whenever it's right there, yeah. you know? Yeah. I'm glad you brought up that, that trope, yeah. you know, because that's something I wanted to touch upon. You know, this is a classic romantic comedy story. And you said Cyrano de Bergerac, I'm thinking Roxanne with Steve Martin. You yeah. Know? <laughs> yeah. It's a classic romantic story. You got Worf. He wants a woman, but he doesn't see, the one that really fits him right in front of him, the best friend, you know, it's a teenage romantic comedy almost. It's fun, but um, you know, you can see the, the ending coming a mile away, but we don't care. We're along for the ride. And uh, it's one of the, the fact that they made it enjoyable. Is and and that's, that's why, yeah, that's why it works is because um, I, I'm loving that ride every second. This, this episode has so many great, one-liners so many it has <laughs> lines that make me laugh out loud we all write lol in our freaking yeah. email. how many people actually laugh <laughs> out loud this episode has lines that after all these years still make me laugh out loud whenever Worf says, says <laughs> i will apologize for this 
<laughs> oh yeah, it's great. It's great. Oh, yeah. oh every time I laugh, you know. It's yeah, hard. you know, uh, O'Brien. You know, she's got. You know, she's got like a, a rash. You know, you were helping her out of the tub. <laughs> it's like you, you look. Looked. You looked, didn't yeah. you? Like, no. Yeah. yeah. O'Brien oh. has that uh, uh, Me Too line uh, that makes me laugh whenever. Well, we're not the line, but then right after that, whenever uh, both you know Kira and O'Brien realize, hey, there's something here, and then they both shut down that yeah. that makes me laugh every time mm-hmm. um uh, uh, dax's lines to Worf, you know that are so clear to the audience to us that what mm-hmm. she's you know that she's hitting on him and that he's missing it totally those are those are so funny yeah and, and it, uh it, oh go ahead go ahead but it, the, it's not a line but it makes me laugh out loud too <laughs> every time at the very end whenever um uh, Bashir is, you know, he's seeing, you know, Grilka and Quark are having these physical injuries, obviously from sex. And then, um, Dax and Worf come in with the same problem. But I love that, that, uh, Worf's sash is on Dax. <laughs> it makes me laugh every time. That was a nice touch. I wonder if that was something they made up on the day of shooting. Yeah, I wonder. You know, could be, about it. Could have been. Uh, what I, one of the things I particularly like about this is, uh, uh, Quark and Grilka. And I love it when they bring back characters from previous shows, but it is nice. And DS9 did it well. But what I like about the the romance between the two of them and is the fact that they're from two separate worlds, two different persuasions. And I, I, I really enjoy seeing that in film or in book form, uh, people from separate societies, uh, different colors or whatever, um, falling in love or having an attraction despite the fact that they're they're seemingly so different on the outside think of uh one of my uh most beloved films snow falling on cedars you ever seen that yeah 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 he fought you know ethan hawk falls in love with a japanese woman and despite the fact that they come from two separate worlds but i find that very um an an attractive story element when when people can come together despite their differences and well that makes me ask do -hmm. you feel that way about Worf and dax or do you actually think that maybe they're Similar. No, yeah. no, not necessarily. Uh, because Dax, although she looks human, she's a trill, so she's been many different. She's had many different guises over the years, and well, I mean, how I feel about their romance. I mean, that's well. I mean, do you feel like that? Like those two are people from these other cultures, like you're just describing, or are they actually pretty similar in so many, in many ways? Uh, yeah, I mean, they're a little bit more similar. They have more in common yeah. than you would think. Um, and because I, I know more about Dax as a character than I do about Grilka, mm-hmm. but uh, the fact that I do know that, yeah, they probably fit together. But uh, well, I, I, I say the thing I like about Worf and Dax's relationship, and you know, this is obviously the start of it, but I like that it got here in an organic way. Like it, mm-hmm. it felt right. It felt it felt the right time to do it, and it felt feels right in this episode for them to get together. But mm-hmm. all the time before this, you, you can tell that that they had this chemistry kind of on screen the way the way they delivered their lines to one another especially you know uh feral as dax the way she would deliver these lines almost in a you know in a teasy or flirty way to Worf, even the most mundane lines and obviously they've had some episodes together that were more focused on klingon things but i i like how they got here in a natural way and i believed it unlike even even some other star trek shows where Mm -hmm. they've had you know, principles get together and maybe it felt a little forced. You mean like Troy and Worf? <laughs> but, uh, you know, I agree with you. <laughs> yes, yeah, definitely yeah. Troy and Worf. Well, I agree with the organic aspects. Uh, they did come to it organically, naturally. Um, I never, I guess when it comes to Worf, 
Um, I, I never feel like he should be a man that should be in a pleasant relationship. He seems like he should always be in pain. I mean, look at so the woman he did fall in love with. He fell in love with um, uh, uh, Kalar, and she died. Yeah. And I think Kalar was a, a much better fit for him. And by the way, that yeah. reminds me, in this episode, they, they say something. Well, I'll, I'll remember this if you want to f- finish what you're saying first. Oh, I was just saying that it seems like Worf uh, should always be someone who is like Batman. You know, <laughs> Batman fights evil because of that inner pain. It seems to me Worf always needs to have that inner, uh, <laughs> those inner demons to fight that he is different and that he cannot meet somebody who he can share his life with. Like That's he can't that- be happy or he shouldn't be happy. He shouldn't be. He should always be a little, uh, uh, I think the odds should always be stacked against him, so to speak. Seeing him happy, um, I think, is more of a detriment to his character than a positive. When when Worf in this episode says, no, I've never really pursued a Klingon woman, that that was my first thought was, wait, didn't he kind of, he and Kalar? I mean, he has a son. Well, I thought Kalar was perfect for him because she was half human, half Klingon. Okay. And I thought that balanced him well. It fit him a little better because he was raised by humans, but he is full Klingon. But there's, he, he'll never quite understand what it's like to be Klingon. Mm-hmm. Not really. Although he has a lot of knowledge, but that doesn't mean anything. I mean, you can read all the technical manuals on the Enterprise. That doesn't mean you're going to be a good engineer. I'd still give it a shot, though. <laughs> oh, yeah. Sure. <laughs> um, anybody else uh, got anything? We've, we've kind of covered what it's about. Anybody else got anything they want to talk about on this one? I do uh, not. I think, we, I think we covered Good. Okay, six degrees for looking for Parmok in all the wrong places. <clears throat> Josh is our guest. You get the first question. Uh, let's see here. Phil Morris plays Commander Thopak, Grilka's guard that finds it impossible to spar with a wharf-controlled cork. In my favorite, that's me, Brian, my personal favorite Star Trek film, he played Cadet Foster and asks Kirk if Starfleet is planning a homecoming party for them. Which film is that? That would be Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock. You are correct. That is Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock. All right. So, uh, also, where was our score before now? Three to one? Yep. Okay. So, Josh has one. Steve has one. Adam has three. Okay. Uh, Adam, uh, Morris also played Lieutenant John Mark Kelly in Voyager's sixth season. Kelly was an astronaut that apparently died in 2032 after his ship was transported away from its Mars orbit by a graviton ellipse. Voyager discovers this ship and Kelly's remains in 2376. This episode's title makes reference to NASA's history of exploration. Name the title. The title of the episode... Yes. So you should have flip-flopped. You should have asked um, Josh, the Voyager guy, this question. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have no idea what the title of, this, of the episode is. Uh, I remember the episode, but I don't know the title. Josh, do you know it? Oof. Um, of course, I'm completely blanking. I mean, I, I know the episode. Reference to NASA. Mm. Yeah, I'm going to have to plead ignorance on this one. I can't remember. No problem, Steve. Is it one small step? You are correct. It's one small step. There you go, Steve. Oh, he's, he's pulling out of the trenches. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Steve. Um, the title of this episode, uh, Looking for Parmok in All the Wrong Places, is a reference to the country song, Looking for Love. In what year was this song released? And I've got multiple choice from you. Steve, you're our, 
our uh, resident pop musician. So I thought I'd give you the pop music question. <laughs> and right. I know how much you love country music. So. Oh, of course. Mm-hmm. So is it 1970, 1975, 1980, or 1985? Say 80. You are correct. It was 1980. I knew you'd know because it was country music. And you know <laughs> well, there's a broad enough range there. I just remember how old I was when I first started hearing it about. Oh, I see. So, <laughs> yeah. It was from the uh, film Urban Cowboy, which came out yeah. in 1980. All right. So what do we got? We got uh, Josh has one, and he gets like bonus extra points that aren't really stated because he wasn't even here for the other ones. Um, and <laughs> Adam has three, and Steve has three. Three. Wow. Okay. So we, the title is going to, for 2012, will be decided shortly. <laughs> Moving on. Nor the Battle to the Strong, Season 5, Episode 4, Production Number 502. Original air date, October 21st, 1996. Teleplay by Renea Cavaria. Story by Bryce R. Parker. Directed by Kim Friedman. Music composed by Dennis McCarthy. Guest cast include Andrew Kavovit as Kirby. Karen Austin as Calandra. Mark Holton as Bullion. Lisa Lord as Nurse. Jeb Brown as Ensign. L. Alexander as Female Guard. Greg Christopher Smith as Male Guard. And Danny Goldring as Burke. <laughs> Dr. Bashir and Jake Sisko are returning from a medical conference where Jake was writing a profile about the good doctor when they get a distress call from a Federation colony under attack by Klingons. Jake is sure that watching a doctor treating battle casualties will make for a more interesting story than the conference and convinces Bashir they must go, despite Bashir's concern. Once they arrive, Jake is stunned by the sight of the wounded and dying people. And before his time is over at the colony, Jake will be tested in more ways than he thought possible. I think this is some joke. It's not. People are dying. It's all so stupid. This whole stupid war is such a waste. In 10 years, nobody's going to remember what anybody did here. Jake. No, maybe you saved a hopper full of people. Maybe you shot yourself in the foot. No one's going to remember. Jake. Adam. Why don't you start us on this one? As you said so eloquently earlier, Brian, most of the, uh, pretty much every episode from here on out is a good one. And um, I like this episode. Um, we don't really get to see um, really a whole lot of Jake, just Jake-focused episodes. I was thinking about that um, earlier, where it's, it's really, I mean, where Jake <laughs> is the A story. Well, we and, just uh, had a joke recently about how, <laughs> you know, how he's not even in a lot of the episodes. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, and he I'm doesn't. Gonna, he he doesn't get a lot of uh, a screen hey, time. No. Yeah, he does, certainly mean, doesn't get a lot of episodes that are Jake episodes. It is um, nice to get a Jake centric episode, though. Mm-hmm. And, and even the one time he did get an A episode, um, the visitor, he wasn't even really in it. Yeah, well, that's true. <laughs> he does have one. That, he does have one that I kind of like, which isn't really looked upon well. The Muse. Oh um, yeah, we 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 weren't so kind to that one recently. Oh, I know, but uh, <laughs> I uh, I enjoy it. But uh, I always thought that Jake um, I found it odd that uh, he was always considered to be in the main cast because he, I know yeah. he's he's part of the main credits, but it always seemed to me like he should just be a guest because they didn't really give him a whole lot to to work with over the years. You do get the the feeling that you know they started the show and thought he would be in every episode, and then something different happens. You know, well that yeah that happens. You know, you know the show goes in different directions. You know. He gets but, a, uh, he's probably got more B stories than anybody else, except for maybe O'Brien. Um, <laughs> but in this one, he gets the whole show. And it is good. Um, I mean, this is a, a classic story. 
um, you know, someone facing their fears and running from them. I mean, there's plenty of instances and stories where that has happened. Um, you know, there's I, a I little think bit of red badge of courage in this episode. Not a lot, yeah, but enough. Sure, red badge. Yeah, yeah, red badge of courage. Uh, <laughs> I think of um, um, all quiet on the Western Front. Um, yeah, sure. Um, I think of uh, the never-ending story uh, when uh, Atreyu looks in the uh, the mirror and sees uh, some, you know Bastion. You know, you see your inner self, and mm-hmm. it uh, it scares you, and you you see what you're really made of, and, and that's just not something that you see in, in works of fiction or fiction based on reality. I mean, you see that in your own life, mm-hmm. you know, growing up um, from going from uh, childhood to adulthood, you face you have uh, tribulations such as that and you realize sometimes uh to a shocking extent sometimes what you are made of yeah that's what what this episode gets at for me is you know no matter how well you think you know yourself or how much you think you would react in a certain situation nothing compares to the horrors of war they are so horrific that you can't even imagine them you could read the greatest book you could see the greatest film and you still can't conceive that situation until you're in it. That's the one thing that is just too completely um, horrific. In that way, it's almost kind of um, <laughs> counterproductive to, to show it to me in an episode of, of DS9. But, but what you can show me, what I can understand, is how a character you know, that, that I know is an intelligent guy and stuff, how even, and, and, has, and has a good heart, how even that character can at first fail in this situation. You know, that is something that you can explain to me that I, I can conceive of. Um, mm-hmm. And when you're talking about the, the horrors of war in, in DS9, I like this episode. I think they're maybe a little bit more successful. I don't remember. What, what's the name of the episode with um, Nog and remember that one? Where he oh, gets, yeah. yeah like it's only a paper moon. It's only a paper moon. Paper moon, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that one might maybe is even more effective um, because it has more of a you know, there's a, there's a permanent consequence there. Um, mm-hmm. But this episode definitely, definitely works. Oh, it works. Mm-hmm. I, uh, it's, it's, it's frightening and uh, to see the transition that, that Jake goes through as he is constantly trying to uh, deal with his situation. Or when he tries to scenes, when he tries to make sense, the fact that he ran away <laughs> when, he, when he finds the injured a soldier on the ground he says mm-hmm. oh this this will all make sense me running away will make sense will be a purpose and, and the he, guy says it doesn't work that way yeah, yeah it doesn't work that way and it's kind of like that old saying welcome to the real world kid you know it's it's things don't work that way there isn't always a point or moral to the story sometimes bad <laughs> things just happen to good people for no reason what makes a lot of this a lot of those a lot of those things work for me is the setup with jake um like so there's the uh, starfleet soldier i think he's enlisted i forget um who shoots him shot himself in the foot right Mm -hmm. and that first scene when jake sees him um there is almost a little bit of because because jake's idea of starfleet you know honor these things mostly come from his father um so he's almost maybe disgusted is too strong a word but he's a little miffed or, or you know uh with this with this guy and he can't really quite understand how he would do that. You know, what's going to happen to this, you know? But then later, Jake has a scene with the same guy, and this is after he has run um, from the shelling mm-hmm. and left Bashir behind. And now he understands, you know? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, he, yeah, he says that. He said, uh, you know, all, uh, all you want to do is get away from, mm-hmm. from the sound, from the fear. 
And, you know, I think you're right. You hit it. You keyed on something there. You know, what he knows about being a Starfleet officer is from his father. And, you know, uh, Cisco is, you know, not one of the best captains of Starfleet, but I mean, the most courageous and brave. And that's what he knows. That's what he thinks to be the, uh, the best Starfleet can offer and, and what you should be as a Starfleet officer. So when he sees this guy breaking down for, from fear, that's not something he's used to. So yeah, I think you're right. He would be, uh, you said disgusted, but yeah, I think he would be put off. Yeah. Put off think, uh-huh. uh, yeah. at first. Yeah. And th- there's something about like the very end of the episode, Cisco, or Jake is, is talking to his father. Um, he, he shows him the, you know, what he's written and his father now understands about what happened and he ran and things, you know, mm-hmm. and Cisco has one little line in there about, you know, you've hit on something that is kind of true in all of us and that a lot of people wouldn't want to admit. And I, and I wish almost that they'd gone one step further because. Okay. I'm wondering if do, you're going to go. Okay, okay. Well, because we I'm, do have this sense that, that of course, you know, Cisco would have never shot himself in the foot. It wouldn't even occur right. to him. He's so perfect. All these Starfleet guys are so perfect, you know, and Cisco chief among them. But I love the idea that he's got, he's only human too. And these are, these are decisions that he's making. And, 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 uh, you know, he's put, he's tested in the same way and you never know how you're going to react until you're in the situation. And he kind of hints to that with that line of his, but I almost wish that he'd gone into a little bit more about that because by, by pointing that out, he's pointing out, I mean, that's the reason that he's, he's proud of Jake. He, he recognizes that Jake has these, has this same fear that everybody else naturally would and should. Um, but he said he's proud of him because he's, He's he's telling other people about it, but I wish that he had they had gone just one step further and and let, helped us to understand better um, that that's in Cisco too. Um, yeah. yeah, I'd agree. I would agree with you, yeah. um, Brian. I think they kind of I, I like the ending, but I, I wish they would have gone more in depth. I mean, you yeah, know, you yeah. just had that little scene of um, Doctor Bashir where I mean, I guess he was reading. Yeah, I'd Jake's like to know article. what Bashir thought of that situation. We uh, yeah, there was there was no really any kind of resolution because. Jake didn't get to have a resolution with Dr. Bashir. Obviously he felt like he, he totally let down Dr. Bashir. And, um, I would have, you know, it would have been nice since they threw that in there, either just leave it completely out or completely resolve it where Jake can, can kind of have that resolution with Dr. Bashir because these were the, you know, the two main characters in this episode. And, um, I would have liked to have seen that. Well, I think, um, I think you're right. Um, maybe it would have been nice for them to, to go a little more in depth into that. It does kind of wrap itself up maybe a little too cleanly. But one thing I was thinking about was maybe it would have been interesting to see the episode ended in a different way. And, you know, this episode is actually narrated by Jake, which doesn't happen a whole lot. Yeah, um, it's and, and, yeah. yeah, it's actually narrated by him, which was interesting. So, you know, he's making log entries. And I would have thought it would have been interesting, say, at the end, uh, just like Cisco does at the end of... Um, um, good lord, I'm forgetting. You know, the it's a fake episode. You know, um, the the Romulan, uh, Vrenak. Pale Moonlight. Pale Moonlight. Yeah. At the end, Cisco erases his log. I thought it would have been interesting, maybe, to see Jake do the same thing. Erase his log. He doesn't show it to anybody, and that would have been something that he would have carried with him. Maybe he admitted it to himself, but the fact that maybe he could carry around that shame. Well, I think that's the difference between. Um Jake, the uh, emotional being that he is, you know, and the writer and the guy that has no interest in being in Starfleet and someone that would be in Starfleet. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I think I, I can kind of see where you're going, though, yeah. Josh. Um, I'm, I, 
You know, because, you know, they started off that, you know, you have the narrations where Jake's talking about this is the first time my father's in here to protect me. And you can kind of see that as, um, to me, I kind of see that that's, that's an evolution of becoming an adult or a man or whatever you want to call it. And by the time we get to the end of the episode, he's shown his father, you know, what he's written. And then his father says he's proud of him. And, he, and it seems like he's gone back to where he was before all of this. To me, it seems like he's gone back to where he's gone, where he was before it all started. It's like <laughs> he's in his off, he's, he's under his father's protection. Um, so, mm, yeah, that's I, a good point. I could kind of see maybe there there should have been a, maybe I don't know maybe a little bit more emotional distance for just a little a little while. That that's why I was asking for if mm-hmm. we got because because if we'd gotten more of you know Cisco pointing out this is the flaw in all of us and it all, we all have to test our metal in this way and you you um, if we'd gotten a little more of that of Cisco admitting his own fears too or me, yeah um, or i maybe, think he would have said because yeah. because what we end up with is is the like you were just saying caesar we almost a feeling of jake doesn't change a whole heck of a lot in this episode no yeah. he you know he has realizations about himself mm-hmm. so i wouldn't say he changes but maybe it would have been interesting to see him maybe confront Bashir about the fact that he did leave him behind and maybe not have that resolved in a in a clean yeah. way that would have um you know, been something he would have had it done out from the protection of his father and maybe seeing him confront his own fear going up to Bashir and saying, you know what, I did leave you behind because I was afraid. And what would Bashir say to him? Who knows? I mean, I, I, I tell you that that scene when he comes in there and Bashir sees that he's still alive um, and Bashir's first thought is simply, I'm, I'm so glad that you're alive. Um, and I believe him, you know, um, I think that that's all that matters. And I think that he would have reacted that way. I think Jake should have, by the end, you know, Jake is, is realizing that. And that's one of the reasons that he doesn't erase his log and that he does show it to Bashir. But yeah, if we just had, you know, a scene or a line or, you know, Bashir could have said something to himself, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know when he reads it. Yeah. 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 Something. I don't. I mean, I think maybe that scene would have been better. You know, you were talking about the the scene with um, Cisco and Jake. Maybe that scene could have been a little bit better with um, Jake and Bashir. I yeah, don't. Some... I don't know. I, I mean, I don't know. I I kind of feel like this episode is about separating Jake from Cisco in a way. And mm-hmm. um, I get the feeling by the end of it, there's no rules. It, they're just back to where they started. That's yeah, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. He he does take him back into his comfort zone under his umbrella to his safety blanket, maybe a little too easily. If nothing else, the fact that that this episode raises all these kinds of questions is the reason that it's good, you know, um, and the reason that it that it holds up and that we've got for answers sure. for for the kinds of things we think we think that it's about. Uh, when I when I had proposed um, uh, some listeners join us on our podcast. Um, and you know, and a few people responded. I asked Josh to name a few of the episodes from this season that he would want to talk about, and this was, you know, this was on your short list. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think these are the kind of, of of reasons why. Well, yeah, I mean, this is a this is a really good episode. I mean, we did um, point out some of the things we would like to be different, but this is one that I go back and watch mm-hmm. uh, quite often. It, it's it's a good one. It's very strong. Yeah. All right, Steve, you've been quiet. You got anything to add? Nope. Right. <laughs> He's still thinking about baseball. I guess. <laughs> you got months, buddy. Months for words. <laughs> Moving on. 
Six degrees for nor the battle to the strong. All right, what is our score? Josh has one plus um, infinity, and Steve has three, and Adam has three. All right, Josh. Karen Austin plays Dr. Calandra, whom Bashir assists at the makeshift uh, makeshift hospital. In uh, the Voyager sixth season episode, Barge of the Dead, Austin played Belana's Klingon mother, Miral. In this episode, Belana finds herself on the Barge of the Dead, attempting to help her mother get to Stovacor instead of Gretor. How did Torres come to find herself on the Barge of the Dead? Oh my god. You asked me a Voyager question? Oh boy. Um, um, well, you guys haven't gotten to the sixth season yet. So. Yeah, I know, but it's been so long since I've seen that one. Um, how did she find herself on the barge? Um, what happened to her? What's, what's happened to her? Hmm. I'll give you another hint. Something okay. happens, and then after it's over, she convinces Janeway to talk to the doctor for them to yeah. do to her so that she can go back. Yeah, I'm I it's 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 coming back to me, but it's it's so vague. It does it have something to do with her pregnancy? No. Okay, then I have no idea. <laughs> okay. Adam, if you would like to try? I don't know. Does she have some sort of brain virus that she's cured of and then she wants to get it back? I don't I don't remember. I don't remember really uh, like the no, I don't remember like no the episode much of you. No 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 brain virus. <laughs> <laughs> Steve, you got one? Mm, I'm going to say coma. You are correct. She was in a coma. Hey, there's our Steve. We know. He got off to a slow start, but he's come back. We're <laughs> worried. Oh, 2012. Here he comes. Yes, uh, she was at the first, she was in a coma uh, because of uh, her shuttle sit by an ion storm. And then she asks Janeway to let the doctor put her uh, into a deep coma again so that she can try to save her mother. Okay, oh. so we got uh, one, three, and four. It's All kind right. of like a brain virus coma yeah kind of like a brain virus sure (laughs) uh steve danny goldring plays chief burke the starfleet soldier that dies in the battlefield in front of jake sisko the last time i asked about goldring it was in ds9's third season when the station finds itself on lockdown after triggering an old security system goldring played the cardassian in a recording that informs ducat that he will die when the station explodes for his cowardice name the episode and i'm asking you to name this episode because i asked adam the name the episode question earlier uh, okay. Um, yeah, geez. See, we're all about being fair in 2012. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Uh, let me give it a few seconds to see if it comes to me. I mean, and hmm. you know, people are listening to our podcast in the year like 2076. They're going to be like, God, he shouldn't say 2012. It sounds so dated now. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, boy. I'm going to tip my tongue. You know what? You've got a brain virus, I think. I guess so. It's it's not coming to me fast enough. I'm afraid I'll pass, I guess. All right. Uh, Josh, do you know it? Uh, yes, I believe that's civil defense. You are correct. It's civil defense. Very good. Very good. Yeehaw. All right. Uh, Adam, so what do we got? We got Josh has two plus infinity. Uh, Adam has three and Steve has four. Yep, yep. So, Adam, if you get this one, you can start 2012 with a tie. All right. <clears throat> Mark Holton plays the bully in Orderly, one of three Orderlies that gets under Jake's skin while joking about death. In a not exactly Star Trek question, in 1985, Holton played Francis, the bully that wants Paul Rubin's bicycle in what Tim Burton film? Um, Pee-wee Herman's Big Adventure? Close enough. I'll give that one to you. It's Pee-wee's Big Adventure. <laughs> I, was like, you, I was like, you gotta know this. Come on. Huh? <laughs> Take me a second. 
It's so funny. He only has a couple of lines as the bullion in this episode, but every time he has a line, you're like, that's Francis. I'm sure of it. <laughs> I didn't know that was the same dude. Yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. I have a quick trivia question for Brian. Oh. I, I, okay, okay, Brian, here's one for you because we never get to ask you trivia questions. Um, the Farragut was destroyed in this episode, the USS Farragut. Uh-huh. What movie did we see the Farragut in? It's in sorry? Generations. Generations then. So you, you get a point too. All right. Thank you. Yes, yeah. the Picard says Commander Picard Farragut. Farragut. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. So there's our first episode of 2012. Uh, thank you very much for joining us uh, today. Well, yeah. Thanks for having me. It's been uh, it's been a lot of fun, and it's also been nice to talk about something other than Voyager for a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, so we will uh, catch the rest of you guys in a couple of weeks when we discuss the next few episodes of uh, DS9. And uh, you want to one more time tell people where they can catch your podcast? Oh, yeah, sure. It's uh, Delta Quadrant Podcast at, uh, I'm sorry, Delta Quadrant Podcast dot Podomatic dot com or just search for us on iTunes. Cool. It's And I have listened to it. It's good. You guys should check it out. It's okay, but I appreciate <laughs> it. <laughs> and I also have a few Star Trek fan commentaries on my uh my other podcast, uh, solusminions.libson.com. That's only if you're really bored. Solusminions.libson.com. That's correct. And do you get that reference? Solus Minions of Orthodoxy? You guys oh. should. What is it? You're, DS, you're doing DS9. That sounds familiar. Mm. Like the circle or something? What is it? Mm, no, it's from a season six episode of DS9. Should I give you the title? Yes. In the cards. In the cards. Ah, yes. Okay. The Solus Minions of Orthodoxy were chasing Dr. Geiger. Right. Oh, and that's, yeah, uh, that's, yeah. that's that's where that's where it comes from. So cool. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um so you can catch us uh let's see, uh uh Facebook.com slash Trek Companion, follow us on Twitter at Trek Companion, send us an email, trekcompanion at gmail.com. Um we hope you guys all had a great uh new year and uh we're looking forward to many more podcasts in 2012 until next time take it easy bye Bye, guys good night